Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Creative Lane Podcast Network. Hey guys, Jim here, and today I've got a special guest joining me. I've got from the folks at the Boston Metaphysical Society, I've got Madeline Holly Rawson. Hey, Madeline, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing fairly good today. It's it's beautiful spring, you know, winterish, almost spring day. We've actually uh, stayed warm and not in the 30s tonight, so I'm doing nice and oh, good. Oh, yeah, it, it's been chilly out here in California. You've probably seen we've had a ton of rain, which we needed. We love oh, it. Yeah. Need, need more. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was a nice change of pace, actually having rain. So we're, uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to more getting us out of the drought. That's that's a huge, wonderful thing to see actual rain happening in California right now. But um, yeah, well, thank you once again for having me on the show. Um, I guess what we met at Gaslight Gathering uh-huh. is that yeah, correct? Right. In San Diego Gaslight Gathering, we had a uh, great time. You had some awesome panels, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. And I got to pick me up a, a hard copy of Boston Metaphysical Society. I've been keeping up on the online comic, but it was nice to finally get some hard copies with the, uh, your, your signature on them. Yeah, we finished up all six issues um, uh, last year. Uh, it is a six-issue miniseries, and for those of your listeners who are not familiar with the story, it's about an ex-Pinkerton detective his spirit photographer, and a genius scientist who battle supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. So think Steampunk X-Files. And it is a six-issue miniseries, like I said. Uh, We are uh, approaching rapidly the uh, Kickstarter to print the trade, um, which will launch on Wednesday, February 1st. And the trade will consist not only of all six issues and their covers. It will include all that beautiful artwork, but also a brand new 10-page uh, sequential art short story called Hunter Killer. And um, I have uh, it's introduced three new characters, and basically I have two words for you about that one, and that's airship battle. Mm-hmm. So it is, yeah, it's it's an airship battle, and it it was. It was fun putting it together because I had had this idea of um, a novella. Um, and as you probably saw um, on at my table, is I've also written a series of short stories and novellas based in the Boston Metaphysical Universe. But I always wanted to do uh, something with, with an airship crew. But I wanted it to be uh, more, I say, more accurate. <laughs> I mean, you see wonderful stories of of airships and battles and, and diesel punk type airships, but they have no basis in reality, the actual battles that you see. And so fortunately, I'm married to a rocket scientist and who's also a pilot. So we sat down and, and figured out a way that a small airship uh, because I'd always envisioned this story uh, about a, a small uh, prototype airship, um, which is called a hunter-killer, which is why the story is called Hunter-Killer. And it's fast and maneuverable, like a P, well, not like, but close to the idea of a P-51 from World War II. 
And uh, so, you know, we designed a strategy that a uh, of what would work on a larger airship uh, using a smaller, more maneuverable one. And so that was a lot of fun putting together that story. So that that the complete story will only be in the trade. Um, I'll probably post maybe the first two pages online, and that's it. Otherwise, if you want to know the whole story, you got to get the trade. <laughs> that's a good little teaser there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, as you can tell, I really enjoyed writing that story. I love those characters, and um, there'll they'll be more. People will see more of those characters later on. That's fantastic. So uh, one thing I definitely wanted to ask, because, of course, you know, the character cast of the series is, is a fantastic group of individuals, you know, some plucked from history, some uh, some very creatively added in. Which one of your cast is your favorite? Probably Granville Woods. Um, oh. And you may not know, but Granville actually existed. He is a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lived in the same, uh, he was a contemporary of Tesla's and Bell's. And in fact, the real Granville Woods uh, sold uh, his patents to Bell. Um, that's how he made his living. He would invent things and, and, and sell the, the patents. Um, fun story about him. Uh, he sued Edison for stealing some of his work which, of course, Edison did to everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Granville won, which was interesting considering he was, you know, an African-American man in, you know, the 1800s. Uh, I mean, that's how egregious Edison was. Uh, so Edison then offered him a job. He refused and ended up starting his own business with his brother in, in upstate New York. But in my uh, research and developing the story, I... I found him because he actually did most of his work in Ohio. But since I'm the writer, I brought him to Boston and and made him part of the team because I can do that. <laughs> Artistic license is an important thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so actually, of the, of all the main characters, there's the only the only two that are fictional are well, there's well, there's a lot that are fictional, but the, the main ones is Samuel Hunter, Caitlin O'Sullivan. And uh, of course, uh, Samuel's father-in-law, Jonathan Wellsmore. Um, they're they're all fictional characters. Yeah, Caitlin is of course my personal favorite of the series. She's a lot of people's personal favorite. Yeah, she's a and, fun and, and I can understand character. why. <laughs> no, I really enjoy writing her. She's she's a lot of fun um, because she's uh, you know she's very much um, a young woman of her world trying to to push the boundaries but you know you can only push them so far before things start you know fragmenting and um uh, i don't know if you've read the whole series yet oh yeah i'm Uh, caught up (laughs) yeah you're caught up you're caught up uh but yeah there's you know for the decisions that that she made later on there 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 are repercussions you just haven't seen it yet um and uh so I mean, people go like, well, what, da, 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 you know, what happened? You know, and I'm like, don't worry. It's all there. It's just, you don't know what it is yet, but I know what it is. So that, that's, that's good storytelling, see? You know, everybody wants to know the next, you know, what, but what if? What's, what's, what's going to happen next? Yes, yes. Um, I did finish the uh, first draft of the first Boston Metaphysical novel. Uh, which after the Kickstarter, I will go back and rewrite. Um, and then that'll go through many machinations before it's ready for the world. But uh, it that story focuses um, five years uh, before the comic starts, and it's when Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hunter is still alive. Okay. And uh, it, it's basically the story of Samuel Elizabeth and um, her father Jonathan Wellsmore so you do uh, you are introduced to Andrew O'Sullivan Caitlin's uh, father mm-hmm. um, and, and as you know he doesn't last very long in the com- <laughs> comic <laughs> page two three <laughs> three yeah yeah page three chapter one mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so you you get to see a lot more of him, and in the uh, and the novellas and short stories as well. Um, 
he's uh, it's a, it, he's he's much more of course flesh out. There's actually one of the first stories is just about him, um, and then you see him a bit in in some of the other stories. But uh, yeah, I've had some people who want to who actually want to cosplay as as um, uh, Andrew. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, because they've they've read some of the 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 short stories and like, well, wait a minute, he was like really cool and you like killed him and like, yeah, I did. Sorry. These things do happen, you know, for stories. They happen. But yeah, no, but it's been fun, and it continues to be fun. Oh yeah, that's one thing I love with the series is is even when things get really serious, it's still got that touch of whimsy in it. Um, yeah, I, I do try. I mean, it, it. I really enjoy steampunk um, because uh, it's. I love science fiction and I love history. So steampunk is basically the marriage of those two things, and with you know steam technology thrown in. But what it does allow me to do it. It exists in a time period where. Uh, Social mores are, are very stratified and very rigid. And you can talk about things like classism, racism, sexism in an organic fashion without beating it, beating the, you know, the themes over the head. Um, these people have to deal with it, um, but we don't have to lecture about it. You know, it's an integral part of their lives. And, you know, that's, that's, that's that's one of the, one of the many reasons I I like steampunk. It just it provides the opportunity for me to to talk about the things that um, interest me and and that I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. Especially with the the venue of steampunk, because it, you can organically show rather than tell. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and it's in a format that's that's you know it's close enough to our era that we understand it and can accept it with just just an example. Yes. Yes, that is quite true. And of course, you know, steampunk's fun because it has Tesla coils. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, unfortunately a lot uh, a lot of steampunk I've I've read, and particularly on the comic side, um, has been very uh, gadget oriented mm-hmm. and not character oriented. And fortunately, I see people moving away from that, which I think is great, uh, because yes, the gadgets are wonderful and, and we love them, but unless the the gadget itself has a personality and is engaging, it it doesn't really function very well in, in storytelling. It's, it's the people or um, something you can identify, like if you want to use an automaton, you know, a story in about the journey of an automaton or something, and then you can imbue it with certain um, human aspects um, and emotions that we as a reader can connect with and um, and enjoy it. So, but, yeah, that's, that's just my little... <laughs> definitely, yeah. It's, it's, it's the... If the item is important to the story, it's okay to fixate, but don't just make everything about the next cool gadget. Yeah, I, I understand absolutely. that one completely. It's, yes, you know, like like I joke, uh, was talking to a friend earlier today of James Bond. You know, we love it for the gadgets, but we're there for the character. Yes, yes, um, yeah. That that's why in in Boston Metaphysical, all all of the gadgets just they, they take a backseat. They're there, mm-hmm. they're part of the world, but um, I just I didn't want to get obsessed with this gadget or that gadget, or it's just. They use them and and move on with their lives. Um, so, especially but it with, is, it with, is. especially with the cast of characters. I mean, to them, it's it's a nonchalant thing, you know. Yeah, it's just it's just a natural part of their world. Um, it's like Samuel. Sam, by the time you meet Samuel and, and Granville in the comic, you know they've been working together for a number of years. So. You, you can tell they already have a pattern of how they talk to each other and what they expect from each other, and they are on equal terms, mm-hmm. um, which is also unusual for that 
time period. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, Samuel is not... Samuel's not upper class. He's what I refer to in the comic and in the novel and the short stories. Is he's from the middle district, so he's essentially middle class. And Granville is also middle class, but since he's African American, he does live apart. And of course, Caitlin is lower class Irish, and really doesn't have anything to do with the uh, the up the upper tier class, which is what I refer to as the great houses. Um, so she has basically, you know, nothing to do with them. And they with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, she's got the natural talents. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, what, uh, you said Caitlin was your favorite character, um, is, is there any particular issue that's uh, a favorite of yours? If I get to interview you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you remember, sure. that's fine if you don't. Oh, I'm trying to think back to one particular one. I mean, the latest one, I mean, um, that's, it, that's issue six, right? Let me see. I'm looking yeah, it's issue pie. six, yeah. Yeah is uh, basically just how she's been dealing with all the confrontations going on. I mean, she's literally, no matter how bad things are going, she's the bubbly happiness going on. You yeah. Know, you t- you know, she gets blown up. Boom, she's still smiling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you're going to pay me more now, right? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. That type of line right there, it just strikes a chord with me of, you know, I've known people just like that. They're like, eh, so bad things happen, but uh, you're going to compensate me for it, right? <laughs> You know, it's the I'm I'm here doing my job. I'm smiling. I'm taking the worst of it. You know, you know. Hey, I still be breathing. You know. <laughs> well, oh, while we're talking to her, I I want to um, give a shout out and and kudos to my artist Emily Hugh, who has done a great job um, throughout the whole series, and you can probably see how she's improved mm-hmm. each issue. Uh, she also did. Um, Hunter Killer, the short story, as part of the trade. Oh, okay. And she was very happy to do that. I said, hey, you want to do airships? She's going like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do airships. And um, also my colorist, um, Farisa Kamaputra, and, uh, who is there for chapters one through three, and then Gloria Kali, who's been with me the whole time. And, uh, and she also did the coloring on Hunter Killer. And she did the inking and the coloring for the cover of the trade, which she did a spectacular job on. So I have to give kudos to the whole team and, of course, Troy Pateri, our letterer, because, you know, you don't you do not do comics in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. you got you got to have a, a good team. And and, uh, uh, and even though we're, we're finished with the miniseries um, and, and the short story that I know, you know, if I'm able to do more in the future that... Uh, their schedules permitting, I know I can reach out to them and, and say like, "Hey, do you want to do another?" And, and I'm I'm sure they would. Oh heck yeah! I mean, it, you can tell that you guys definitely have gotten better issue after issue. You've gotten more comfortable. The uh, artwork's definitely gotten a lot better. And, and issue six is the best artwork ever. I mean, yeah, just yeah. some of her costume choices. I mean, just like uh, like the after the explosion. Where she's just got this this disheveled look. She's you know, Hunter's holding on to her, and she's just got this cute little half smirk smile, you know. After what up two pages earlier, she's mad dogging the devil himself practically. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it goes from this serious, intense face to all of a sudden explosion, and oh, everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean she is. I mean Caitlin is definitely the the heart and soul of. Um, of the series, and uh, even though I've, I've I've taken a liking to to Granville, <clears throat> but mm-hmm. no, I like them all. It's just you know, I guess probably each of them is you know little bits and pieces of myself. Um, so it's 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 uh, as most writers do, you know. There's mm-hmm. little bits of you in all your characters somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's that's one of those hugely important things. So that way that. Uh, you can easily identify with the characters. Yes. Yes, most definitely. 
And that's one thing I like with the series is the, as my wife brought up the other day, because she's a costumer, and, and she just loves the outfits, the way they've been drawn, you know. It's the fact that you can look through them and they're all Victorian-inspired outfits, you know. And it's, Yeah, it was, it was, that's actually kind of interesting because, well, one of the reasons I hired Emmy was because she did Victorian so well. Um, because I uh, hired her to do, do two sample pages from the script to see, of course, how she would do, and she nailed it, and I loved it. And then we had to work on her steampunking it up mm-hmm. so it wasn't straight Victorian. And so sometimes, if you know, like if you go back into... <clears throat> there, there'll be certain times where you'll have a, a background character where I know it used to be the, the woman or the man used to be wearing a straight Victorian costume, and I went back to Emmy. I said, no, we gotta, we got to steampunk this up. we got to change it up a little bit. And, um, and then, you'll, then you'll see something with the boots and the skirt or a, a, a purse or, a, you know, that looks a little different or a hat that's it's Victorian but just slightly not. And uh, so, yeah, um, but that's just part of the process of working with an artist. Definitely, and uh, that's one nice thing with steampunk too. Is you have the familiar, but then you've got the crazy, not familiar, that you just roll with. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. I get what that is, I get what it does, so we're just going to continue on. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, wait, we'll wait. To, I'm sure if you've looked online, you've probably seen the cover for the trade. And uh, I think uh, Emmy and and Gloria pretty much knocked it out of the park. I'll definitely make sure to post a link as well, so that way you know we can share it. Uh, yeah, it's up on the Facebook page, uh, and also on the uh, the web page on the blog. I think underneath the comic page. Mm-hmm. The and, one with the, uh, the pink and purple fog. Yes, yeah, and it has a different logo because I I went to Detroit and I wanted to change up. The, the lettering for the trade to make it a little more dynamic than what had been on the single issues. And so, um, I mean, he did a great job. So it's, everything's a little, everything's the same, but a little different. Uh, so, I mean, people, it, it will be recognizable to anyone who's following the comic, but it's just, it's more dynamic, which is what we wanted for the cover of the trade. And everyone did a great job. It's currently in, pre-press right now my my pre-press guy is compiling it all together it takes time oh yeah that's it's, it's the problem is one of those it always, deals it always takes time it's all but about we're the almost, preparations yeah most definitely Okay, uh, where can folks uh, catch up on uh, Boston Metaphysical Society's adventures for those who haven't caught up to it or seen us, you know, us shamelessly plug it on Facebook? <laughs> uh, shame, shamelessly plug it on Facebook. Uh, they can go to the website at uh, www.bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. Uh, and, yeah, of course, feel free to go like the uh, the Facebook page. And, like I mentioned, we will be launching the Kickstarter on Wednesday, February 1st, probably around noon, noonish uh, Pacific Standard Time. And there are some early bird rewards, so you can get uh, the trade at a, and it's limited though, uh, at a, a slight discount. Um, but, uh, oh, and we have a new pin, which is great. Uh, that was actually suggested by a friend of mine. Uh, the new lapel pin is uh, an, an 1800s box camera. Oh, nice! That, that it's in it's it's in the traditional setting of I'm, I'm sure you've seen the lapel pins or they're they're <laughs> all round. They're about an inch and you know inch in diameter. Says Boston Metaphysical Society, and then you have um, you know engraved in the middle the the camera that that Caitlin and her father mm, the sphere had used. camera. Yeah, the box camera. <laughs> that that'll uh, be a cute, cool little addition. Yeah, so because I try to do a new pin every year, because last year was Tesla, and everybody loves Tesla, and and Emmy did the portrait 
um, that's on the pen and, and did a great job, of course. Um, and uh, and I think we still have the dirigible pin as well because we're selling. We're we're we actually have a reward tier where you can get all all three. Oh, that would be um, cool. Set, set a set of three with a you know a nice little uh, gift box with our you know the the steampunk owl logo on it and all that other good stuff. So you know lots of, lots of fun stuff for the people, but obviously the primary thing is you know get the trade and you get the brand new. Uh, Brand new short story. Hey, and it doesn't take much time for folks to you know want to get a hold of it and make sure they devour all the content. <laughs> yeah, our uh, my other hope is is once this novel is done, is to start working on uh, a series about the House Wars, which is my equivalent of the Civil War. Hmm. Um, uh, set in the Boston metaphysical universe, and the the three new characters that are part of Hunter Killer are will be in that series. That'll be a cool addition. So, yeah, and um, at some point when we have uh, the funds, the hope in the future is that anything that is pre-comic timeline will be in prose version. But anything that is post-comic timeline will be in sequential art. And um, I would love to do, like, 32-page one-shots, just focusing on, like, two of the main characters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's a funding issue. So, you know, our, our basic hope now is to accumulate, you know, self-fund a portion of it and then go to Kickstarter to finish it off. As but once a, again, that all takes time. Yep. <laughs> That's one of those ones of, you know, getting the funding, getting the planning. I mean, just like uh, in your book, Kickstarters for the Independent Creator. Yeah. You, know, you definitely cover for, for, which, by the way, I'd recommend out there for anybody who's planning on doing a Kickstarter. It's a great read and available on Amazon. That, yes, uh, it is. It is in, in print. Uh, yeah, in print and in ebook everywhere, mm-hmm. any any platform that you have. Um, I do a lot of guest lecturing now. Um, this past year, I was at Scriptwriters Network and over at DreamWorks. And actually, tomorrow night, I'm giving a talk over at the San Bernardino Public Library to a group of authors over there, and oh, wow. um, uh, who are interested in you know crowdfunding their stuff. But yeah, I, I, I do a lot of lot of crowdfunding lecturing now. And uh, and and it's all like we've talked about before. It's all in the preparation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote the book because I saw a lot of really awesome stuff on Kickstarter do the crash and burn. And it was simply because the creators weren't ready. They they just weren't ready to launch. <laughs> so I put together a very, as you have seen, a very nuts and bolts. Um, book or guide so you could just sit down and say, okay, this is what I need to do. So I always recommend to people, just sit down and read the whole thing out first. Just do one complete pass and then go back and read it again and start making notes of what is pertinent for your project. Because even though uh, the book is, the references are all for comics, um, the strategy is the same no matter what you're doing if you're an independent creator. You have to do the same thing, whether or not you're doing a plushie or a widget or a novel. Um, I mean, I, the classes I've taught have included people who are doing uh, music CDs for their music. They're doing biographies. They're doing, um, you know, short films. Um so it's the, inform- the information in there is useful to, particularly to anybody who is looking to crowdfund um, under you know ten grand. Because mm-hmm. that way, it's just usually when your your when your goals are that low, it's just usually you and maybe a partner. And so, my thought with the book and with the lectures I give is to give you the tools to be able to be successful when it's just basically you're by yourself. You know, you don't have a team per se. 
Um, yeah, when you're looking for the larger numbers of, you know, 25 grand to 100 grand to more, then you need a team, and it's a different organizational dynamic, which I can talk about too, but I don't want to, like, make you crazy. <laughs> hey, the book is full <laughs> and, of and great your, advice. And your listeners crazy. <laughs> Excuse me, what? Uh, the book, it is full of great advice. It really is. Oh, thank you. I know. We're um, all hard, all hard um, earned. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's resonated with other independent creators because I've been in the trenches. I, you know, I failed my first Kickstarter, and then we regrouped, and the second one we were fully funded in under 48 hours. Yeah. And we just, you know, we felt that heartache. Mm-hmm. We know how painful it is to <laughs> fail. <laughs> and we know how hard it is to, to get up and and go do it again and then again and again and I'm going to it'll be number 5 this week. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I I've, I've been in the trenches too. So and I think that's what people identify with is I'm I'm just like they are. Yeah, and and so. we've seen you do it, you know, time after time of knock it out of the park afterwards, you know. It's just that that first time getting your key, teeth kicked in so to speak on Kickstarter, that 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 does hurt. Yes, it does. It's very painful. And, uh, you know, for, and I think I even talk about in the book, I tell people, okay, well, if you fail, you know, take some time, rest, regroup, and even though you um, may already know what your plan is and you're ready to relaunch after you fail, wait at least a month so people actually perceive that you've thought about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're doing, because... Um, when the first one that we taught, uh, the first one that we ran that failed, we knew two weeks in that it was going to fail. And when I say we, I'm talking about my husband and I, so we would talk about it. And so we already started planning and we pretty much knew exactly what we were going to do. But one, it was the holidays and we wanted to just take a break from it all. And but you have to give the perception to people that you've actually thought about what you're doing and that you are planning because I've seen people like cancel or they fail and then they relaunch one week later and I can just tell by looking at their page that they didn't really go back and think of why they failed the first time. And you need to take that time. Um, you shouldn't wait too long. You shouldn't yeah. wait longer than three months, but, um, you know, at least a month to really kind of think about what you're doing. Give it that anyway, uh, about- double double check and, you know, soul-searching. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I even had one gentleman who bought the book for me and at a con, and I think he read it the first night I was there, and he came back to me the same day, and, he said, and the next day, and he says, because you've convinced me that I do not want to run a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, that was $10 well spent. Mm-hmm. Because now you know if you hadn't read that and then you tried to do it, you would have wasted months of your life and just been in agony and trying to get this thing done. And now you know that this isn't the thing for you. Exactly. So, And, and he went like, yeah. He goes, that was that really worked for him because <laughs> he knew he was not going to do what was required, which is fine. It's better to know that ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, the huge thing is that, that at least you're going in forewarned, you know, so you know what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we've gone on, off in another tangent here. <laughs> so uh, in regards to Boston Metaphysical Society, get, let's jump back on the tracks there or back okay, in the airship. Okay. What okay. What is your source of inspiration? I know you said history, but uh, do you have any other sources besides just the historical figures? Uh, I'm a big X-Files fan, and and I always kind of figured there was, uh, in even in the X-Files universe, there had to be a, a Mulder and Scully, but in a different time period, except with no aliens. I don't have aliens uh, like they did. But it, to me, it just would have been... It, it was an interesting idea to set uh, a, a Mulder and Scully type of relationship, but in a different time period. And um, 
a lot of the historical research came from a script I wrote while I was at UCLA Film School called Stargazer. Uh, the script itself won the, the Sloan Fellowship, which has to do with um, science writing. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about a young Scottish-American woman who came to this country pregnant, penniless, and abandoned by her husband. And uh, she was hired. This is a true story, by the way. Uh, she was hired as a maid uh, by the director of the Harvard Observatory. He noticed her talent for detail and hired her to be one of his female computers, is what they called them back in the day. And she ended up discovering over 10,000 stars and developing a new uh, stellar classification system. Her name was Mina Fleming. And you can look her up. I'm sure you can go Google her. Uh, but that's where I got a lot of my historical research done was when I did that script. So it kind of just flowed right into the steampunk universe because I was already in, you know, the 1800s. <laughs> and then I, you know, love the whole supernatural thing, and there you go. Yeah, because that's one thing I love with uh, steampunk in the Victorian era is there's that huge surge of science versus meta-science, meta, meta you know. Seances yeah. were one of the cool things you do for parties, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just touched, it resonated across, you know, pretty much every culture of the Victorian era, I mean, of just how people were accepting the new concepts. Yeah, that was interesting. It was It was really, it's a very interesting time period because there was so much technological and cultural change at that time period that... It, it really, it was it was a hard cultural shift for many people, and uh, that's one of the reasons I liked using that time period. And there's so many, uh, as the era would have labeled them as anarchist groups. You know, the suffrage societies, the uh, different groups going across England wanting different types of uh, liberation for their their groups. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in America, you know, we had so much going on because it was, you know, like uh, here in Tucson, we have Wawa Westcon, and we joke yep. about so many of the gents, you know, as gentlemen, we, we don't do Victorian England, we do Victorian Western, you know. So you have yes. the whole ex- Western expansionism going on at the same time. Yeah, uh, there's an author, Shelley Adina, that mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've read any of her books. Uh, my wife's read a few of them and told me about them. Yeah, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. Um, I, I haven't read all. I think I've read like three or four of them. Um, then just ran out of time. Uh, but yeah, she had a character who, who started in England and then ended up out here in the West. <laughs> <laughs> so she's really she's running the gamut. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, what what you can do with that world. Yeah, it's one of those magical uh, palettes that you can just keep painting with. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I like I like seeing American steampunk. That that's just because there's so much English steampunk that you know, it's like okay again. <laughs> exactly, like one of our local uh, steampunk groups. We're doing we do a, a monthly book club. And mm-hmm. this this whole year they're focusing on everything not English, which is which is going to be fun. Uh, then they need to look at um, there's a couple anthologies. One is the Sea is Ours, which is about South. It has um, an anthology of Southeast Asian steampunk, mm-hmm. and um, and of course there's Steampunk World and Steampunk Universe, which all have multicultural uh, short stories. Uh, from around the world. And that one's a fairly fast read, too. Uh, which one? Steampunk World or uh, the CSRs? Yeah, CSRs. C- CSRs, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, it is a pretty fast read. Uh, I know I am not terribly familiar with Malaysian culture, so I'm sure there's some references that went totally over my head. Uh, but... It, it it was cool. It was very cool. <laughs> um, just these references of, of, like, there's a kind of catfish, which they turned into a whale, which flies <laughs> through the air. 
So they're, it's these like whales who are, are dirigibles, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's very cool. You guys can go check it out. It's one of those of lots of work was put into it. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, full disclosure, one of the editors, Jamie Go, uh, took my Kickstarter course, <laughs> <laughs> my crowdfunding course, before they, they launched and had a very successful campaign on Indiegogo. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, she and her co-editor, they, they did a bang-up job. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's one thing I definitely like hearing is is the Kickstarter success stories. It's it's nice that uh, independent groups are getting more and more content out there, and it's not just you know the big com- production companies. Yeah, there's actually talk that um, and articles talking about and arguments that Kickstarter now is the third largest publisher of independent comics. See, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's. Uh, as far as independence, like, I think the only ones that are would be bigger are Image mm-hmm. and probably Archaea Boom. So, for whatever that's worth. Hey. But yeah, I'm just I'm looking at. Oh, I don't know if you did you have you read Skies of Fire? I have not. No. Oh, it's a it's more diesel punk. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Uh, Ray Chow and um, what's his partner's name? Uh, Vincent, 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 Vincent for Fiorera, Fiorera. Um, they wrote it. Um, I think they're up to issue three. They run just strictly Kickstarters, and these are oversized books. These are beautiful. You're you're gonna you will <laughs> love them. Go look up Skies of Fire. Go get it. Um, their company's name is called Mythiopia. And, uh, yeah, get on their list for whatever their next Kickstarter is, because you will be very happy. <laughs> so, yeah, since I'm sitting at the keyboard, I am typing in now. Uh, they don't, they generally don't do the smaller cons, mm-hmm. like Gaslight and things like that. Um, but, yeah, they're going to, I know they're going to be at San Diego. We'll be at, we'll be in small press at San Diego this year as well. Oh, wow. With just a quick Google search, the artwork is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's uh, Pablo Papino. And, of course, they have a really cool map of the uh, Aquilin Empire. Oh, yeah. They're just, they're amazing. The work they put into this is just amazing. And, um, I, I will, I will give you, I will reveal one secret, but only to your listeners. Okay. You're that, you you're that special. <laughs> um, their artist, Pablo Papino, is doing one of my stretch goals. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that right there is a reason to uh, make sure to spread the word and share the love. Yeah. I mean, I have... It's it's just that I, I, know, I know you guys are going to love it, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. That's the big secret. Well, that's, that's the but. fun part. That's that's the fun part because we've we've been talk we've been talking back and forth about the uh, the artwork he's doing. Oh, that's so. gonna be cool. Yeah, you guys are gonna you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> it's that good. Yes, it's that good. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, hopefully we will get to that stretch goal, and I will be able to reveal it, and um, and it'll be happy happy time for everybody. See, that'll be one that people will be checking back every morning when the Kickstarters are going live and just double-check to see if that stretch goal pops up or not. <laughs> yes. Because there's nothing cooler than backing a Kickstarter and then having really cool stretch goals come out. That becomes one of those of, you, you already know what you're backing the Kickstarter for, but then all of a sudden cool new things come out and you realize that's just like the plus one to it, you know? Yes, yes. Most definitely. All right, so Madeline, is there anything else you wanted to tease or tantalize us about with the Kickstarter or with just Boston Metaphysical Society in general? I think we've talked about all I've got right now. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be more in the future, but I think that's it. We've got the Kickstarter launching on Wednesday for the trade that has 
as I mentioned before, the new 10-page uh, story in it. Mm-hmm. And we got some awesome stretch goals. Uh, the novel is in the rewrite phase, and um, and there's more coming. Just people got to be patient. <laughs> yep, that's that's one of those things. Is, you know, we we get a hold of the stuff and we digest it so fast, and we like more, more. We want more, but it, it we have to be patient, and and the magic does take time. Yes, it definitely does. But I uh, just want to say, you know, from the fan base, thank you so much for 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 producing it. I mean. And sharing with it, I mean, you come with some. You come from a huge, varied background of, of different skill sets and things, and just thank you for making this thing that's grown so much, you know, out of control of the Boston Metaphysical Society, and sharing well, with us all. Well, thank you. I mean, you guys have been awesome, and and thank you for embracing the story and uh, and the artwork and and the team behind it. Uh, I couldn't do it without them. They are they are awesome. Uh, as my husband likes to half-jokingly say, uh, we got Emmy out of school, right out of school, but at some point she's going to get so good we can't afford her anymore. <laughs> but I think she'll always have a soft spot in her heart for me, um, just because I know we've we've gotten her a lot of work. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty, too, is, is you get that synergy with a good team that it's 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 about the project, not the, you know, prestige, you know. Because mm-hmm. the project is its own glory, you know. You want to... You want to raise the baby, make the baby wonderful, and share the baby with the world. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I I wish we could uh, would produce could produce more faster, but um, mm-hmm. we do the best we can. Oh yeah, and from a from a creative maker point of view, it's it's not quick and easy to do the artwork and stuff. That does take time to make it that good. Oh, I know it. I know it does. I know it does. Um, which is why I yeah <laughs> no. I know, I know it takes her time, and but when Emmy sets her mind to it, she can crank stuff out. So it's just you know finding it's a, it's always a scheduling thing. Mm-hmm. The the work life balance. Yeah, absolutely. And again, from a long time uh, web comic fan, thank you for keeping it in web comic format as well. Well, you're quite welcome. Because that's always fun to read. You know, check back, wait for the new release to come out, and jump on it. Yeah. Well, the. Uh, um, I know uh, the first two pages of the Hunter Killer won't go up until after all of. If I'm assuming we will be successful with the Kickstarter, uh, but um, after all the Kickstarter backers, they get everything first mm-hmm. before anything goes up on the web. Yeah, which is good because they're the ones supporting to make it happen. Which you know, it's it's, it's only fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you're, yeah, you're they definitely get everything first. Yeah, which is, you know, as 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 a backer, that's that's what you're hoping for. <laughs> and then yeah, you can show all your friend. friends when your issue comes in of look what I've got. And uh and then my living room turns into my assembly center. <laughs> I do I do everything myself. I don't farm it out. Oh, that's so. awesome. It takes it takes about a week and a half, and uh, things just you know go out in stages, mm-hmm. and they, it all gets, goes out. I just you know do like maybe twenty thirty packages a day, and and off they go, and then I go terrorize my local uh, post office. Hey, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's like you again. That's the beauty of the small press, you know. It's it's it literally is you know you're you're personally getting it out the door to them it's not going through some warehouse and printed up somewhere else it's that that's that's another part of something that makes it special i just wish it were easier <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it all gets done but anyway thank you so much for having me on the show oh, i really appreciate it it's been a lot of fun i'm glad we finally got all the technical stuff worked out yep <laughs> and uh thank you for hosting a fantastic uh pair, you know, group of panels at uh gaslight gathering oh you're quite welcome it was great to you know actually meet you in person and you know pick up physical copies while we were there yeah i'm sure i will be there uh this year i guess it's gaslight expo mm-hmm. gaslight expo. Now, now expo yeah um i i'm hopefully i've turned in my application form 
to be a vendor, so I will probably be there as well. Fantastic. Um, I really enjoy Gaslight, and the town and country and is is a great venue, and um, uh, I just love the... It's, it has a great vibe, and I almost wish I could attend because there's so many fun things going on, mm-hmm. but, you know, I have to work. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It's, it's, the, you know, one nice thing I like, like with the Gaslight Gathering and this year, the Gaslight Expo, is, is the fact that uh, there's, you know, the talented folks that get brought out by the convention. And, you know, after hours when the con's over, you're at the hotel and you're all just getting to hang out together. Oh it's, yeah, it's, it's a great creative environment of just hanging out and just just talking with people. No, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I really, really enjoy it, and uh, Anastasia and her crew do a tremendous job. Oh yeah, they do a fantastic job. And of course, big shout out for the San Diego Steampunk Society because they're fantastic. Of course, <laughs> of course, absolutely. All right, Madeline, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. And again, like always, guys, thank you for listening. On the battlefield, I'm a warrior ready to kill or be killed. I've defeated orcs from the north, sent Kandorian demon spawns back to the depths, and drank with Sumerian heroes. But when I get back from a hard day of disemboweling my enemies, I enjoy nothing more than to open my castle doors and find a dungeon crate as my reward for blood well spilled. Designed for role players and tabletop gamers, Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service with a treasure hoard of loot you can use on or off the battlefield. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handcrafted items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. So what say you? Are you ready for postal glory? DungeonCrate.com. Let the adventure begin. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, and I'd just like to take a second to thank all of our patrons, the folks who supported us on Kickstarter, and the folks who've given us positive reviews on iTunes. So on iTunes, XO4, thanks man, you've been with us since the very beginning, and we still love getting messages from you, man. Next would be LOL Man 1, that's two L's, two N's, D&D Rocks, exclamation port, and OCU Teach. Thanks, you guys, for going to iTunes and hitting the review because it really does help other folks find us. If anybody in the patron and Kickstarter page wants their name to just be their last name or their first name, let us know. But I'd like to definitely shout out to Christopher Onstad. Thank you very much, man. Chris McCarty. Thank you. Kelly Springer. Thank you, honey. Carrie S. Thank you. And, of course, James Springer. Thank you very much, guys. And thanks for being our patrons. Thanks for supporting us. Thank you for your emails because, guys, we love going through those emails. And if you want to shoot us a message... Shoot us an email to creativeplaypodcastnet at gmail.com. Thank you for supporting us, guys.